deeper realms. We engage with the angels, and we welcome you in Jesus' name. That's right. Pastor Doug? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord, sit down. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to hand out these sheets, and they have absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, but they're just handouts that we want you to have. So they're not really for any, you know, we didn't have time to go over all everything, but these are things that we want you to take and, and look at. Um, if I have time later, I may briefly go over, but I go over a couple things on them, but um, here, there's two different ones here. I don't think I actually split those in half, but whatever. Okay. All right, the next thing that, uh, next little topic we have here, this section is called Stewarding Your Heart in the Prophetic or Cultivating a Heart That's Bigger Than Your Gifting. And, you know, we've all heard about, you know, the famous prophet, the famous you know, evangelist or whoever that had this amazing gifting. They could draw crowds. They could, you know, wow you with, you know, the revelation that they had. But then, you know, what happens? They, you know, something happens. They fall. They're, they're not able to continue on with the ministry that God's called them to because of X, Y, and Z. Something in their heart that they stumbled over, and then, you know, they kind of disappear from the scene. You think, whatever happened to that person? You know, and it that's not God's heart. That's not God's plan for that to happen. And so one of the things that we can do to safeguard ourselves is to cultivate our hearts or even better to allow God to cultivate our hearts, to cultivate, you know, kind of like Nicole was saying, um, we have this way of kind of elevating giftings and we kind of say, wow, you know, this person can do that or they can do this. And we get so wowed by people's giftings. And yet, how often are we wowed by people's hearts? You know? How often are we wowed by people's integrity or people's character? Um, I mean, I, I, some people are. If you, if you value it like God values it, then you are wowed by that, you know? But uh, I feel like that's part of, you know, what God's calling us back to is really valuing what he values. You know, it says um, in First Samuel, it says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, you know. And so for me, I have such a passion for us to live from the heart, for, for us to, to, to kind of get past all the exteriors, all the things that, you know, we stumble because we, we just look at the outside so often. And God's like, bring it back to the heart. Um, so this, is, this little section is all about the heart. Um, 1 Corinthians 13.2 Though I have the gift of prophecy, but have not love, I am nothing. Okay, so this is like the biggie. If you hear one thing today, hear this, that love must be your motive for prophecy. It must be your primary motive. It must be the thing that you want. And, you know, we're all growing in our love. None of us have arrived. None of us are, you know, are the embodiment of love. You know, we're all working on it. But I think God sees our heart. If we know that our motive is love, it's love. And if we know that our motive's not love, then God can work on our heart and change it right away. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a long process. 
Um, one of the illustrations that I love that I've, I've heard for years is, you know, prophesying is like being a heart surgeon. You know, your, um, your motives are kind of like your instruments. If your motives aren't clean, then sometimes we end up bringing death instead of life. And, you know, we've all heard, I, I, I know of people that they received a prophecy that was given in the wrong spirit. And so then they say, well, prophecy is not from God. Or they were really hurt. And so they just kind of throw out the whole thing. Well, you know, God doesn't use prophecy. Well, no, he does. But sometimes people bring it in the wrong spirit. And then it kind of just just ruins it for people, you know. And so, you know, God's saying we have to learn how to steward our own hearts before him. Um, and this whole issue of, you know, hurting people hurt people. So that if I'm, you know, if I have like loads of bitterness, if I have loads of offense, if I have loads of rejection, if I have all this stuff that's all, you know, sweltering in my heart, when I speak, I mean, we've all been around people that were so so bitter that everything that they said, you could just, oh man, (laughs) you know, you just feel the weight of it when you're around those people. And God's saying, you know, he wants to use us to speak his words, but he wants us to, to allow him to, to really get in the garden of our hearts and really cultivate that garden, really pull the things that need to be pulled, you know, prune the areas that need to be pruned. You know, and, you know, like Nicole was saying, he's a loving dad. It's not, it's not like, oh, I'm in trouble. It's not like that. It's like he so wants us to live a fruitful life. He so wants us to have life abundant, the life that he planned for us and de- desires for us, that he's like, look, this, this thing is, is kind of in the way. This thing is, is blocking out the fruitfulness. So, so let's, let's deal with it, you know? And um, so for me, a lot of it has been seeing, you know, t- two of the verses that I love. One of them is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The NIV says, everything you do flows from it, you know? What's in your heart will come out eventually, you know. And so, um, and then the other one is Matthew twelve thirty four, um, For out of the fullness or the overflow or the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's abundant in your heart? You know, I felt, felt like that's the question God was asking me. What's abundant in your heart and what am I going after? What do I want my heart to be? What, what do I want the garden of my heart to look like? And, and then allowing the Lord to come in and just do what he needs to do. And it's, it's a fun process. I, I see it, you know, you hang out with God in the garden of your heart, and you can have fun with God in the process. Even in the pulling of the weeds and the pruning, the Lord is with you, and it's a time of fellowship. It's a time of communion. It's a time of working through things together. It's a time of being with your dad. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, think, sometimes we look at this kind of stuff and we think, oh, God stuff I got to work on or, you know, oh, I got, you know, it's like going to be this hard, grueling process. Well, you know, sometimes there's hard things and yeah, that's the reality sometimes, but it doesn't always have to be as hard as we make it. Um, God wants it to be, you know, his, his burden is light. You know, it, do, it doesn't have to be a difficult thing. Um, and so I just feel like God's speaking about our secret life. So who we are when no one's looking and that we live before God and not men. You know, and that's what the heart life comes down to. It's who are we? Who, who are we when, you know, we're by ourselves? What, are, what do we think about? What are the things that we allow to, to come in and, um, you know, be, keep company with? Um, 
and even things like integrity, honor, and humility. You know, those are things that God highly values, and we don't always value them as much as he does, and he wants to cultivate those things in our heart so that we'll, we'll be powerful when we come across. We'll be powerful because he's working through us. We've uh, allowed all these things that have, you know, kind of muddied the waters. We've allowed him to take care of those, and so we can see clearly and we can operate clearly in the prophetic. And it's, it's for us and it's for others. So it's so that I can hear God clearly for in my own heart, in my own life, and so that I can hear for others. Um, and so Nicole kind of touched on this, but gifts are freely given by God, but heart and character are cultivated through choices and circumstances. Okay, so gifts, you know, we can't boast in any gifts. You know, we can't really boast in anything but Christ, but, you know, because I have a gift doesn't make me more valuable. It doesn't make, it doesn't add to my worth. It doesn't add, I'm, you know, I'm a daughter regardless if I had absolutely no giftings, you know. But I can choose with God to cultivate certain things in my heart that honor him, you know. And those are the things that actually, because it takes time. It takes saying yes to him over and over, which is sometimes really hard. And God, I, I, I see God just smiles over that. It's a surrendered life. It's a life that says, you know, God, we just want to, we want to say yes to you. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to, you know, you to have your way. And, I, you know, because of that, I want to just lay down who I am. I want to, you know, cultivate whatever you want me to cultivate in my heart. Um, and, you know, as I was going over this, the Lord brought to my mind, because a lot of it is, you know, what we cultivate in our minds and in our hearts, we create an atmosphere around us. And, you know, I had this experience a few years back with my kids where, you know, I was having kind of one of those rough mommy days <laughs> where I was like, you know, I changed a bunch of diapers and, you know, doing laundry and fixing food. And I was just like, you know, I'm so over this. I am just so over this. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, you know, fix lunch for my kids for the, you know, 200th time and whatever. And basically just didn't have a very good attitude, you know, frankly. And I'm sitting there, you know, I'd fix lunch for my kids and they were sitting in the, they're eating their lunch. And I was in the other room folding laundry, folding laundry, you know, and just kind of, you know, and the Holy Spirit arrested me and he was like, you know, you don't have to have that attitude. You can actually choose to be thankful. And, and so I jumped on that, and I, I started just saying, you know, God, thank you for the right things. Thanks for my house. Thank you for my kids. Thank you that I get to be with them, that I get to stay home with them. And, you know, and just began to thank him for different things. And literally, probably a minute later after I started that, from the other room, my little two-year-old, four-year-old, thank you, Mommy, for making us lunch. Thank you, mommy, for being such a good mommy. Thank you, mom. And they just start thanking me. And the Lord said, you know, your attitude, the things that you choose to dwell on, the things that you choose to cultivate in your heart, and it, it's a mystery of heaven because I didn't say a, a word to them. It, why, does it, why does that work that way? Ask God. I don't know why it works, but it does. The things that you cultivate in your mind and in your heart creates an atmosphere. So it, it's either going to be one of negativity, one of worry, one of anxiety, you know, or it's going to be one of loving God, one of thankfulness, one of, you know, 
So you know, to me, that was, that was powerful. And then the last little thing I'm going to share, I guess about three minutes, um, is, okay, so, you know, sometimes I think we look at this whole issue of the heart, and sometimes I think it seems like, you know, we have, we have seasons where it's like, man, I'm so far from where I feel I should be in my heart, you know, or we think, you know, how do I get from here to there? And God gave me this picture a couple weeks ago, and, you know, and this is to do with, you know, times of temptation when, you know, we're faced with temptation. This is to do with issues in our heart that God wants to heal. This is to do with, you know, any of the above. And what I saw was I was standing on, on a platform of a train station, and I saw this train coming through. And the Lord said, this is the train of my grace. He called it the train of grace. And he said, you can choose to hop on or not. You know, and, and he's like, if you hop on, you don't know where it's going to take you. You don't know where it's going to go. But if you don't hop on, you're going to stay right where you are. You know, and sometimes I feel like we put a lot of pressure on, I got to, I got to get this worked out. I got to, you know, I got this issue and I got, you know, and we stress out about it. God's like, just hop on the train. That's, that's your only responsibility is to hop on the train to say yes. God, I say yes to wherever you're going to take me. I say yes to whatever you, you want to touch in my heart. I say yes. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know where the train's going to end. I don't have to know where it's going to go. All I have to do is say yes. Mr. David Halcombe's going to come share powerful teaching. Greetings. Let me set my timer. Keep me accountable. Hallelujah. It's been amazing so far. What are some of the hindrances from hearing God clearly? Because clearly prophecy is, is just one's ability to hear from God and to, to share that with others. You know, we, we like to see as prophecy as um, calling out the treasure in other people. And um, I heard it said that um, a lot of times in prophecy, <coughs> God allows somebody to go into your future 5, 10, 15 years down the road, see something that's going to encourage you give it to you now so you can see a goal that God wants to get you to um, many times we hear those kind of words and we say that's not me <laughs> look at this look at my life look at my situation you know there's no way but God's just giving us a nugget that we can shoot for then there's always going to be a process right going to be a process to get to that point that's our job to pursue him in that um some of the things that I can think of that hinder people from hearing God clearly hurts of the past. You know, I think um, Elizabeth shared on this a little bit. Um, and what happens typically is when we get hurt, say, by a church leader, by a parent, by somebody who abused authority, a boss, those things kind of get nestled in our heart. And like Elizabeth shared about the garden of the heart, they spring up, this bad thing that happened. And because it's alive and it's got, you know, it's waving at you when the wind blows, uh, you're constantly seeing it. So it's a little hard. Another thing is bad teaching, bad doctrine. You know, I grew up in a, in a 
denominational type church, and um, it was basically a nonprofit organization. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, prophets weren't existed. You know. <clears throat> You know, it's funny how, how they honored the pastor, they honor evangelists, they honor the teacher, but the prophets and the apostles, you know, hey, they, uh, they're back there somewhere, you know. And what was the church built on? What did Jesus say? On the foundation of apostles and prophets, right? So why wouldn't the enemy use that strategy, right? Amen. Um, Hebrews talks about 12, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So this root of bitterness, it's going to be a lens, basically, if you think about it, what we're going to see the world through. You heard the term rose-colored glasses, right? If we have a, some kind of a hurt because somebody abused us, somebody prophesied wrong, somebody in authority didn't treat us the way we thought we should have, it's going to give us an inability to see the goodness of God. Amen? And that's got to be first and foremost when it comes to prophecy. We have to understand that God is always good. Amen? And he comes from that place of goodness when he speaks to us. Another thing, Jesus warned the, the, the disciples. He said, uh, beware. He actually says he charged them. Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven of, of Herod was the political spirit, right? That which, politically correct, you hear that term? <laughs> and it's, uh, it's based on on how do we keep everybody happy? How do we not, you know, cross any barriers? The, the leaven of the Pharisees would be a religious spirit, something that has a lot of rules, a lot of um, things to do, but no authority, no relationship with the Father. And so he warned them to take heed of that leaven. And what does leaven do? It infiltrates and spreads and takes over. And that brings us down to... <coughs> One of, the, one of the spirits that we hear a lot about, and that's the Jezebel spirit. And um, contrary to a lot of times I've heard that preached, it's uh, got nothing to do with females. It's a, it's, a, it's a spirit, right? It was manifested in the Bible through a woman named Jezebel. Her dad was Ethbaal, the king of Sidon. And so here you have Ahab, a, 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 a Jewish king that married outside of what he was supposed to marry, right? Trying to foster relationships with other nations, trying to keep peace, going about it the wrong way. Her name actually means um, to exalt Baal. So she was probably dedicated as a child to this God. She was uh, running to and fro with him. The Jezebel spirit is a subtle taskmaster that manipulates us to first subvert humility and patience in order to get others to do what we want. It's about manipulation and control. Amen? It's about somebody who doesn't want to have responsibility, but they want to have control. You know, because true authority 
comes when we take responsibility. Amen? And so this, this polar opposite, this Jezebel spirit, wants to come in, wants to subvert the authority that God has raised up in the house and control people the way they want to get things done. Uh, Ahab actually even built a temple to Baal. And he set up a wooden image and an altar to Baal and began to worship him. So the country's already going sour right there. Um, <coughs> but as you know, the, the story of Jezebel, she actually stops or she st starts killing the prophets of the Lord. And she has 450 prophets to Baal, 400 prophets to Asherah. And she's got her, her whole thing going there. And Elijah, as we know, is the man who calls down fire. You remember the story on Mount Carmel where he says, okay, let's, let's have a showdown, right? And so he brings everything in. Um, think of the power that was, that was released during that, just that one day when he, they brought in the sacrifices, they built the altar, they put the cows on there, and the, the prophets of Baal, he gave them all day. He taunted them saying, come on, maybe your God's in the bathroom, you know. Maybe, uh, you know, they cut in their hands, and he was really having fun with that. But when he called down fire, the Lord responded, right? There was a power, and, and in that moment of when that spirit, the power of that spirit was broken, the people were able to see. See, the people were under, under a deception. They were under a fog of not seeing clearly. And so when that, when that spirit broke, Elijah said, now, kill him. And so they put them all to the sword, all 850 of them at that point. And then what happens after that, a spirit of revival breaks out. Right? They hadn't had rain for three years. Think about it. The drought is over. Elijah prays. He sees the little cloud. Rain comes. Um, the next day, I believe it was, it was either that day or the next day, when Jezebel heard about it, what do you remember her saying? Anybody remember that story? Let me read that real quick. As Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, this is 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And you probably remember the story. He goes on a day further into the wilderness and he um, whines and complains to God. Oh, I'm the only one left. <laughs> How did that happen? Was it just because Jezebel spoke something? Or was there a principality at work there behind her words because she was in partnership, she was in covenant with this God? Was there a spiritual force that pow, went there and overwhelmed Elijah? You know, many times it's after we have a great breakthrough that the enemy is able to cut us off at the knees. You know, and we have to be careful because... A test comes after a season of learning, doesn't it? How does it work in school? You study, 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 have a test. So we need to start expecting these things. After we've, we've had a certain study, we've, we go to Tuesday nights, um, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. After you hear an awesome message at church on Sunday, expect 
that to get worked out in your heart, you know, and expect that to come and test you, right? There's a scripture that talks about Joseph, and it says that the word of Joseph was tested until the time came, until it came into fruition. And so God will speak a word of prophecy. The enemy hears that word. And he's going to aim at trying to get you disillusioned, get you not to see who you really are in Christ. Keep you from walking into that word. There's another area called jealousy. In James, it says that jealousy and envy, when jealousy and envy exist, every evil work exists with that. And uh, there's a story in Judges, um, not Judges, but in... um, First, not not first. I'm arguing with myself here. I'm going to win, though. Don't worry about that. <laughs> well, let's talk about Delilah. We all know the story of Samson and Delilah. Again, think about the setup to this story. Samson was not doing what God called him to do. He was hanging out with a Philistine and not <laughs> worshiping the Lord, right? He was, he was in an illicit relationship where he shouldn't have been. Many times when we're not where we're supposed to be is when the greatest attack comes. But anyway, she was trying to get him to tell him, tell her the, the source of his strength. And if you, if you remember that story, the lords of the Philistines came and said, hey, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you can find out where his strength lies. So I think there were five lords of the Philistines, so that's, that's a little treasure probably in those days. So her heart was set to manipulate him. And he told her a few things that weren't true. Yeah, bind me with new ribbons that haven't dried. Bind me with new ropes. Weed my hair in a weave. And all those proved fruitless. And he finally told her, but only after this. She said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. Ever had that experience? He told her all his heart and said, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite of God to the womb. So we know that it was only when she really pressed and pressed and pressed where he just couldn't handle it anymore, you know. And that's what that spirit does. It will cut you off at the knees. It will continue to whine. It will continue to, to try to get its own way. Jealousy. Jealousy opens the door to bitterness. When you see somebody else's gifting, when you see somebody else's talent, and you desire that, it's only because you haven't yet seen what God put in you. Amen? You haven't seen your own treasure. And that's the a, that's a first thing you need to see. You need to see what is that treasure that you put in there? What is that amazing calling like Nicole brought out Um, Jeremiah was called before he was ever born 
God writes out a destiny. And there's this amazing book by Paul Keith Davis, and it's called Books of Destiny. And when I read that, it helped me to really understand. The prophet Bob Jones, who's been one of the daddy prophets uh, over our nation for a long time, he's, he's, he's functioning in heaven right now. But um, he went into a vision, into the, to the library of heaven, and this angel brought a book and put it before him. He said it was like three feet by two feet, big wooden book, and he started reading through it. And it was called the Books of Destiny. And he, he was able to thumb through history. He saw Paul's destiny, and he thought, wow, he did it all, you know. And then he saw James. He saw a few other people. Then he flipped forward, and he saw some people that he knew in his time. And he thought, man, that's amazing. And then all the things they hadn't accomplished yet but were written that they would or that they had access to. Put it that way. And one of the things he took away from that was the destinies of people that he knew today were no different than those of Bible time people. They just fulfilled their call. And we each have that opportunity to fulfill that call and to do amazing things. Got to pursue God for that. Pursue God. Pursue prophecy. And, and get prophesied over by other people, you know, because they're going to be able to see things that you won't. I think it was Elizabeth or, or Nicole one that talked about sometimes we have a filter in the way we see things. They have similar giftings, but they're expressed differently. They're, they're displayed differently. And we each have our own flavor of God in us. Amen. And I think that God understands that. We don't add to the word that he gives us. But we each express it differently. And I think as he gives Nicole the word, he understands how she is, right? So he, she's going to release it in a way that means something to you. Debbie's very highly, highly prophetic as well. And, and she sees things that I'm like, God, why can't I see? <laughs> but it's very interesting because when we work as a team, I will, I will feel it. I'll hear it. And... An elder that I served under once, he used to just say, I just know in my knower, you know? He would just, it was everything within him knew that. And so I'll, I will speak, and as I'm speaking a word forth, she starts to see it. And then she can add from a different perspective to, to complement that word. But, you know, in Kor's rebellion, jealousy was an attempt to get them out of their own call. See, they were called to be Levi's, to serve in the tabernacle, to do a certain function. They wanted to have Aaron's job and to be the high priest, right? So jealousy gets us out of the place of our calling and puts us into a place where we have no anointing so the enemy can destroy us. That's what jealousy does. You got to be careful about being jealous of any other person. We need to honor each other and build each other up. You know, bitterness is often the door in which the Jezebel spirit enters. The person who chooses not to forgive has to control their surroundings to be safe. To protect. The person who chooses not to forgive has to control their surroundings to stay safe. They have to control who has access to them in order to keep from getting hurt further. Right? So it's a wall. It's a protective measure. They're usually marked by a trail of broken pastoral relationships, not being able to receive correction or discipline. And if you think about it, instruction and information are two different things. Information is information. Instruction, think of construction, 
on the outside, you're building something. Instruction builds something on the inside of you where information can stay, right? If you get information without instruction, it's probably a database that doesn't have any triggers, doesn't have any links. But if you build that structure inside of you, information has a place to go. And it's built within us through discipline and correction. It's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. Only through our ability to humbly receive discipline and correction at times can this inner structure be formed within us. And I've noticed over the years, uh, Elizabeth talked about those people who, who don't finish well. There have been certain people who have been derailed. And uh, Paul talks about Hymenius and Alexander. They got derailed, shipwrecked in their faith. And a lot of people in the past, Solomon, King Solomon, he didn't finish well. But he, he had a pattern that Ahab had. He married foreign ladies who brought their gods in, built temples for him. You can't do that and remain pure and holy like, like Nicole was talking about. The holy, you know, without holiness, no one will see God. And um, so people who tend to not be able to be corrected won't allow authorities in their life to speak into their life, won't allow discipline, are those that will tend to stray away and, and allow hurt to rule them, allow jealousy to rule them, allow a Jezebel spirit to have a voice. Proverbs 10, 17 says, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refu refuses correction goes astray. And then again, Proverbs 12, 1, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> Had a way with words there, didn't he? Those who resist discipline and correction are choosing to disregard wisdom and understanding. And God says that wisdom is the most important thing. Amen? And all you're getting, get understanding. All right? Mark 4 talks about the, um, the, the parable of the sower. And it says, these are those seeds that fall by the wayside. He's talking, uh, he's explaining it. And he says, um, when you hear the word, <laughs> when you hear the word and, and you don't understand it, the enemy comes, snatches it from your heart. And why does he just take it from your heart? He leaves it in your mind. Next time you hear a word about that, preach from the pulpit. Amen, brother. Yeah, oh, yeah. I heard that before. <laughs> but the garden of your heart has had no cultivation. It's had no seed that's bringing up good fruit, right? And so he'll steal it from your heart. You've got to get understanding. You've got to get understanding. The way we keep from walking in this is... Like, like everybody has already said many times, walk in humility. Everything must be filtered through love. That's why the love chapter is right between 12 and 14. I heard one, somebody say once that when, when a, a pastor was teaching about the gifts, he said, yeah, you know, I know you got to bring that love thing in just because it's sandwiched in between, you know, but let's get real. You know, the gifts are the most important thing, you know, right? <laughs> and the pastor said, you haven't heard a thing I've said yet, have you? And uh, so it's, it's, it all must come through love, right? If you don't love people, you can never influence them. You know, you know, the world 
only has value for us if they know we love them. And we can't influence somebody that doesn't have value for us. We, so many times we preach at people on the street. You know, we used to in the old, old group that I was with. And you preach and you got a bullhorn and you're shouting at them and all. It's like, what do we expect, you know? They, they know that we don't love them. Who's going to have influence over President Obama? The person that talks about all the bad things he's done? Who's going to influence ISIS? Until we love them unconditionally, we're not going to be able to influence them, even in our prophetic declarations, right? We're not going to be able to influence anybody until we fully love them. And that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. I'm seeing a theme here. <laughs> okay, we're going to do an activation. I need to make sure that everybody has paper and pen or pencil. Does everybody have said paper and pencil? Pen. If you don't have it, raise your hand and maybe your neighbor can loan you. Hmm? Oh, yeah, no, don't, no loaning. Actually, it needs to be given free and clear. Because you're not going to get it back. Okay. Okay. I like to say that, you know, personal prophecy is as easy as asking God, what do you want to say to this person? And waiting to hear what he says. So we're going to do a little thing around that. I want everybody to close your eyes. Close your eyes and just imagine that you're in heaven in the throne room. And you're looking at the Father, seated on his throne. You can see the angels. You can see just however you want to picture it. And you're standing there, and there's someone standing next to you. You can't see their face. But you say to the Father, Father, what do you want to say to this person that's standing next to me? Now, you may begin to get some words. If you start to get words, I want you to go ahead and write down the words that you get. If you're not getting words, you may get a picture. You may have a, a, a short little picture or a vision. You may have... So you just begin to write down whatever it is that you're getting. It could be a, a verse, a Bible verse that God you just hear in your mind. It could be two words... You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you know, two words can be very powerful to someone. So don't think it has to be a big, long thing. But go ahead. I'm just going to give you guys two, three minutes just to write what you hear for this person.
30 seconds to try to wrap up the word. everyone get something? Okay. So now what I want you to do is give, give the word to the person on your right. And if you're at the end of a row, give it to the person. So, or however it goes. Actually, hold on. Who did you give it to? Actually, if you're on the end, give it to the person down here. <laughs> 